Our reading is from Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in secret." and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Wonderful. Well, morning, everyone. Um, let me have my welcome to that of both Jameses. It's such a, um, a joy and, and a privilege to be preaching this morning. Um, and what a wonderful reminder uh, we've already had of our glorious Savior. Um, and so as we come to this um, passage that we've had read for us, um, it is a challenge, um, as many of the passages we've looked at in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from this pa- part of Matthew have been. Um, But let's remember, in light of all that Jesus has done for us, um, we are called to live in response to it. So as we start, um, let's pray. Um, Let's ask for God's help to understand um, what this means um, and to apply it to our lives today. So let's pray, um, and then we'll get stuck in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much already for this reminder that we've had this morning of your great love for us for the fact that even though we are so far from you, Lord, our sin is so heavy, Lord, that you came and made a way for us to be made right with you, that you paid our debts through the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. Thank you that because of his sacrifice, we can now be called your children. Thank you that you know what is best for us. Lord, and as we look at this passage, as we are challenged 
to see what it really looks like to live in light of all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray you would um, give us soft hearts. Lord, you'd help us see where you want us to change. Lord, to make us more like Jesus. Lord, help us this morning. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Well, I wonder, what motivates you to do the things that you do in your life? What are your motivations? And maybe for those of us who are at school, what motivates you to work hard? Maybe the thought of doing well, getting good exam results, and getting the grades you need to get into that university you want to go to. That's kind of motivation to work hard. Maybe for others, what motivates us to be part of the sports clubs or the hobby groups that we're involved with? Maybe we're involved because it's something we really enjoy doing. It it brings us joy. Or maybe our motivation is because we want to meet people and spend time with our friends. What motivates you to do the job that you do? Maybe it's something that you're really passionate about, somewhere where you think you can really make a difference. Or maybe your motivation is to simply do something that pays enough to cover the bills. You see, we all have different motivations for the things that we do. But the question that we are posed with in this passage is, what is our motivation to live the Christian life? What is our motivation to live to follow Jesus? See, over these past few weeks, we've spent time looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've thought practically about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus as he explains and, and shows us in lots of different ways what that really means. But this morning, we're going to see how Jesus moves from the what does it look like to the why do we do it? What is our motivation for living for Jesus? And what Jesus does here as he's preaching this sermon, he gives us a warning that if our motivation to follow him is wrong, then we can be in danger. If you've got the passage open there, look down, what's the first word that we see? Beware. Beware, be careful. This passage is a warning to all of us who follow Jesus about our motivations and and why we do the things that we do. Look down at how Jesus starts. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, beware of, be, be careful of what motivates you to live the way you do. That's kind of his, his big point of this whole section. He lays it out right at the start. Be careful. He warns us that if being seen by others is our motivation for, for living the Christian life, then, well, there's danger in that. There's no reward. In other words, it doesn't really benefit us. There's no real point to it if we're doing it for ourselves. Jesus states this big point, and then he kind of illustrates it, um, as any good preacher would do, with kind of three examples of, of what this might look like using the kind of three keys of religious examples of the day. Giving, praying, and fasting. 
And so we're going to look at these in turn to see where we are tempted to take the credit for ourselves, to have the wrong motivation when we're doing even good things. So let's look at the first example. Giving, look down at verse two with me. That Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus, the, the, master's pre- the master preacher, is using kind of an a, a excessive example here to make his point. Some commentaries I've read try to claim that some people did actually sound a trumpet when they went to give. Um, I don't think that's really what was happening. Jesus is using a, a ridiculous example to show how ludicrous it would be to try and take credit, to get people to give you credit when you give. Now, we might think that sounds a bit ridiculous, but anytime you see a, a CEO or a business leader donating to charity, what is it they do? Big check, massive, with a number on there, get a big photo opportunity, right? Part of us always wants to take credit for even when we do something like give. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, don't make a big song and dance about giving. He says, don't give so that you can be seen by others. Instead, verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now again, Jesus isn't making a, a literal point here. Right? He's not saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing. That doesn't even make any sense, right? But it's a kind of ridiculous example to show how secretive and personal giving should be. How we shouldn't even draw any attention to it at all. And there are a couple of things here for us to note. Notice, first of all, how there is an expectation to give. Jesus doesn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. As followers of Jesus, there is a, an expectation to give. Give financially. Give our time to those in need, to the church. Why? Well, it's not because we want to be seen, but it's in response to all that he has given us. Once we experience his incredible mercy and grace that he has lavished upon us, the the natural outflow of that is a desire to to give back because of all that we've been given. Giving is an outward response to all that God has done for us. But so easily, we in our sinful hearts turn that around and our motives become not a a joyful response, but often be a, a devious way of getting praise from other people. Nowadays, when it comes to financial giving and with direct debits and bank transfers, right, it's much easier to give financially in secret than it may have been. We might not be able to give money for the approval of others, but our motives can still be wrong. Anytime that you give, is it out of a thankful heart to God or is it a, is it a way to make you feel good about yourself? Do you find yourself feeling proud of yourself? Oh, yes, I've given, oh, I've given a bit more this month. Go me. See, our motivation for giving financially can be wrong, but I think a bigger challenge for many of us is our motivation for giving time. 
We all wish we had more time. We're all short on time. What is our motivation to give our time to serve? What's your motivation for serving tea and coffee after the service? What's your motivation for playing music in the music group? What's your motivation for serving at Sunday school? You serve tea and coffee? Because deep down, you just want people to say, oh, thank you so much. That's a great cup of coffee. Do you play in the music group? Because actually, deep down, you want people to look at you and go, oh, goodness me, she's brilliant at that. Oh, the playing you did this morning, top notch, was bang on. Do you serve in Sunday school because you want people to see how great you are with the kids and that you're pulling your weight, you're doing your part? See, our motivations can so easily stray into that, can't it? So Jesus challenges our motivation for giving, but he also challenges our motivation for prayer too. Look down at verse five, look what he says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, Jesus makes this exaggerated comparison. Don't be someone who loves to, to stand and pray in front of everyone, standing on a, on a street corner so that it can be seen and heard by people from every direction. Jesus says if you pray to be seen by others, then there's no reward in that. There's no gain from that. And while it might be trickier to relate to the giving example, I'm sure at some point, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've had the wrong motives for praying. Right, have you ever done this? Maybe you've even done this this morning. I have to catch myself on this all the time. Um, you're praying, um, either at a life group, here on a Sunday morning, on a Zoom meeting, whatever it might be, and you're praying, and you're in the stream of praying, and you hear someone go, mm, yes, or, oh, yes, Lord. You know the moment, and when you hear someone like you think, oh, oh, great, I'm, I must be doing something right here. Uh, and you carry on, and then you get to the end, and what are you hoping for at the end? You're hoping for a big, hearty amen from everyone. And you can finish and go, oh, great, that, mu that must have been a great prayer. Oh, well done, me. You ever felt like that? Or maybe on the flip side, you can be praying, and if you're not hearing those things, there are no mm's, there are no amens, or maybe a very quiet one at the end. How do you feel? Kind of go, oh, goodness me, have I said something wrong? What have I done? Was that a rubbish prayer? Surely I'm not the only one who's ever felt like that, right? See, our motivations can, can be twisted so easily, even when doing something as good and as right as praying. Or maybe, maybe you find it even hard to pray out loud because you're worried about what people are going to think. That's what drives you not to pray. To all of these things in some ways sound a bit ridiculous, but we're all tempted to do that at times. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't pray for the approval of others. Instead, verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Jesus says, go into your room far away from everyone so that no one can see and pray there. Private prayer is, is vitally important. And it's a good check for us all 
if you find yourself happy to pray out loud in front of others, and you want to do that, and you carve out more time for that than you're willing to carve out time to pray on your own privately to the Lord, then maybe your motivations aren't quite in the right place. Maybe you see praying in front of others for others' approval to make it look like you're doing the right thing as being more important than having a conversation with your loving Heavenly Father. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that you're only allowed to pray in private by yourself. We get countless examples of him praying in front of people. That has been the practice, to pray corporately as well as privately. Again, he's just using this example to challenge our motivations. Do we pray because we want to be seen to be doing the right thing? Do we pray in front of people because we want people to think, oh, he used some good words there. He knows what he's talking about. Or do we pray because we truly want to spend time with our loving Heavenly Father who loves us so deeply, who cares for us, who wants us to come to Him, to know Him personally, to praise Him, to thank Him for all that He's done, and to bring our requests humbly to Him. We pray as a a show of how reliant we are on Him for everything. Jesus then gives another example of prayer in verse 7. Look what He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It clearly was a bit of a a practice of Gentiles or those um, from other countries who who had to pray a, a certain number of times or had to use specific words in order that their gods would would listen and grant their prayers. I love the NIV translation of this is great. It says, do not keep babbling on like the pagans. You can picture it, can't you? Someone going on and on and on and on, trying to um, force the gods to listen to them. God hears all of our prayers, no matter how long or short, no matter how complicated or how simple. It's not the exact words that God cares about. He knows exactly what we need. He cares much more about the posture of our hearts when we come to pray than the words themselves. And that's why Jesus gives us this wonderful example of what it is to pray. The Lord's Prayer. I'm sure all of us are familiar with this. And listen, I could spend hours and hours on this. There's a whole sermon series in this. Um, I'm not going to cover this in any depth. If you do want to, James a few years ago had a, had a look at this in more depth. Uh, the sermons are online. Uh, I can encourage you to go and have a look at those. There's so much in here. But in light of what Jesus is teaching around of this, the principle here is that prayer, first of all, should be simple. This is a short, to-the-point prayer. It should be simple, and the focus, first and foremost, is not on ourselves, but it's on our Heavenly Father. The first half is all focused on Him, and then it's on us. If we come to Him first, naturally that's going to align our motivation to Him rather than to ourselves. Our motivation to pray shouldn't be because we want God to be our personal wish granter, our personal genie. It shouldn't be so that people want to look at us and think that we're doing the right thing. Our motivation to pray should be because we want to speak to our Father in heaven. 
to invest in our relationship with him just as we would another family member. To tell him how thankful we are for all he has done for us in through the Lord Jesus. Our motivation to pray should be because we realize how frail and helpless we are. But to come to him and know that he can give us the strength that we need. So Jesus has used giving and prayer as these examples to expose where our motivations may not be right. And finally, he turns to fasting. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So first of all, fasting what is it? Very simply, it is um, going without food, um, abstention from any form of eating, denying yourself a very basic human need with the purpose of it being to focus you on God. It goes hand in hand with prayer. It was a, it was a time of physical hunger to help draw people into a spiritual hunger, to hunger after God. It's not meant to be kind of a a self-punishment, but it's to be done in order to redirect our attention to God. Now, at the time, um, there was only one occasion uh, where the whole nation was called to fast, and which was on the Day of Atonement. You can read about that in Leviticus 23. Um, So that's probably not what Jesus is talking about here, because everyone would have been doing it, so there would have been no way to make yourself stand out. Now Jesus here is talking about the the voluntary fasting that the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, did uh, twice a week. Um, They would dress themselves up and kind of be making a big deal. Look, I'm going without food. You can just like picture their faces, can't you? Oh, woe is me, I'm so hungry. Drawing the attention, look at me, I'm fasting. Jesus is saying, be careful, watch yourself. Don't be like this. How does Jesus say they should fast? Verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Again, like the other two things, don't make a big song and dance about it. Go about your life as as normally as you can, not drawing attention. Nobody else needs to know saying fasting is that's between you and God. It's not for others to see you and look at how good a Christian you're being. Again, the main point that Jesus is making here isn't he's not explicitly commanding us to fast. He's just using this as, a, as another example uh, to help us see and expose the motivations behind things. That, but it is worth just touching on fasting for a second because it's, it's not the kind of thing we talk about or think about very often, is it? So should we fast? Well, fasting was done by the Pharisees. Uh, It was commanded on the Day of Atonement. We read that John the Baptist and his followers fasted. Jesus himself fasted when he was in the wilderness. But on the other hand, at no point in the New Testament are we explicitly commanded to fast. And in fact, Jesus' disciples didn't fast. They were actually criticized for not fasting by the religious leaders. 
We do have, though, a couple of examples in Acts of, of Christians fasting at particular times in order to focus on the Lord and seek him more earnestly. So should we fast? Um, well, it, in preparation for this, I've read people argue both sides to say, well, no, we don't need to. And others say, actually, no, it is a really good thing to do. I mean, we certainly don't have to. I don't think the Bible commands it, but there's definitely no harm in, in thinking about it or doing it. If we want to be a people who really hunger and thirst after the Lord, then fasting for short times could be really helpful in that. I'll be honest, I've never even thought about fasting before. I've never given it much thought until looking at this. But it certainly challenged me to think, what, what might that look like for me at certain times, for certain reasons, to draw closer to the Lord, to really earnestly seek him for a time? There's lots more I could say about that. If you want to, uh, chat to myself, chat to, the, chat to James after. It's really interesting for us to think about what might that look like for us. But the point still stands. Even if we do, nobody else needs to know because that is between you and the Lord. So we've got these three big examples that Jesus gives us to kind of bring out that point of warning us for practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Uh, and to some extent, we're all guilty of doing even these good things for our own glory. And when we do that, what does Jesus say? Look back at verse one. It says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. See, if we do even good things, prayer, giving, fasting, if we do them for the wrong reasons, then well, there's no reward to be had in that. These acts with the wrong motivations are, are empty and are hollow. They, they don't achieve anything meaningful for us. We might feel good that people are noticing us, but ultimately that doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. There's no benefit to us to do these things for the sake of it, for other people's approval, because those reasons are wrong. And look, as we look around and see each other, as we give our time, as we give our money, as we, as we serve, as we pray, is that we've got no idea what each other's motivations are, do we? We can't see into each other's hearts. We don't know. We can't pass judgment on each other. That's why just by looking at someone on the outside, they might seem like they've got it all together. They might seem like they're a great Christian. But behind the scenes, could just be doing it all for themselves. Do you know who does know what's in each of our hearts? Look at the end of each little section. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. We get this repeated line three times that Jesus says. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So God knows exactly what's in all of our hearts. We might be able to put a false mask on to make it look like we're being really holy. We might be able to convince all the people around us that we've got it all together, that we know what we're doing, but we'll never be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. He already knows exactly why we do the things that we do. We cannot hide from him. 
And that's equally terrifying, but also wonderful at the same time. Terrifying because he knows the deepest, darkest thoughts. He knows our deepest desires. He sees straight through the fake mask that we so easily put on. He knows exactly what all of our motivations are for doing the things that we do. There's nothing that we can hide from him. If we really think about that, that can, that can be a scary thing. The fact that he knows our every thought, all of our sin and our selfish motivations might, think, might make us think that he would want nothing to do with us. But the reality couldn't be further from that. He knows our every thought, our every sinful motivation, and yet he still wants to draw near to us. He doesn't want empty actions. He wants our hearts. He wants us to know him and love him as we were made to do from the beginning. He wants us to grow closer to him. He wants us to have a a real relationship with him, our heavenly father. He wants our hearts to be in the right place as we live for him. Because if our heart, if our motivation is in the right place where, where we see that there is a reward, not a physical kind of reward, I don't think even the reward of talking about a future forever with him in glory, but a reward now. If we live for him and not for ourselves, if our motivation is to bring him glory, as we do these things that Jesus commands, well, we're gonna see growth. As we draw closer to him, he's gonna shape us and mold us more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. If we live for his glory and not for our own, we're not get dragged into a way of thinking that what makes us think like we're justified by the things that we do. It's, the, it's, what, it's how we act is what really matters. No, instead we'll see our Christian life as not as a list of things to do, but as a, a vibrant, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. If we live for Him and not for ourselves, the reward will be a deeper and more intimate relationship with Him. That's the reward we get to experience now. If as we're focusing on particularly this year, we wanna be a people who love Jesus more. Simply doing more Christian-y things, giving more, just praying more for the sake of it, fasting or, or, doing, or giving up other things, but doing them just for the sake of it or for the wrong reasons, that is not gonna help us love Jesus more. These things for the wrong motives will get us nowhere and Jesus, well he challenges us to be aware of where our motivations are wrong. Beware of doing Christian-y things for the approval of others because God knows our hearts. We can't fool him. But by putting him first, by serving him, by giving our money, our time in response to all that he has given us and all that he has done for us, that will naturally draw us closer to him. Praying with him at the very center and as the focus for his glory because of all that he has done for us. 
If we do that, we will naturally draw closer and have a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. And if we fast, or if there are other things that we give up, if it's for the intention to focus more on him, to fix our eyes on him, if we truly hunger and thirst after him and not the praise of others, then we'll be rewarded with a much more vibrant and closer relationship with our glorious Heavenly Father. Friends, this is, a, this is the challenge, isn't it? I know I've certainly been convicted this week of so many occasions where I fall short of this. Moments even standing up this morning and preaching going, who is it I serve? Am I trying to look like I've, I know what I'm talking about? Or do I genuinely want to bring God glory? See, for all of us, our motivations will be wrong and twisted in different ways in different areas of our Christian life. Maybe this morning will be a chance to come before and repent for where you've fallen short. But the wonderful thing is, I'll praise God, even though he knows exactly what's going on in our hearts, he still welcomes us in with open arms as our father. If you look through this passage that we've read, the word father is repeated nine times. As much as it is a a challenge for us, it's a reminder that God is not far off and distant because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice for us so that we can be called children. We now have a true and proper father, a father who will never let us down, a father who loves us perfectly, a father who even though he knows our deepest, darkest thoughts still loves us more than we can ever imagine. Praise God that he is a father who is patient with us beyond belief. And he's a father who wants us to draw near to him and know him more deeply. Let's pray that we will be a people who don't bring the attention to ourselves, who don't live the Christian life so that people can look at us and think we've got it together. Let's be people who live in the way Jesus commands, who, who give who pray, who fast, who live as salt and light, who live in all the way that Jesus has said, not for our own gain, but as a response to all that he has done for us. That is our true motivation. Let's be a people who live for Jesus because we love him and we want to bring glory to his name. I'm gonna leave a moment of quiet. Maybe this is a good time for you in your heart to to come before the Lord, to to admit where your motives have been wrong when it comes to living for him, for living the Christian life. This is a chance to, to ask for his help, to serve him, not out of selfish ambition, but to bring him glory. To bring him glory for all that he has done for us. Let me leave a moment of quiet for you to pray and then I'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, it is a challenge when we read and hear passages like this, Lord, where you challenge our motivations for even the good things that we do. Lord, we're sorry that when we want to take the credit for ourselves, we want people to see us 
that that is our motivation for living the Christian life. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to want to serve you, not for ourselves, Lord, but to give you glory, to serve you in response to all that you have done for us. Lord, wherever we particularly struggle with that, Lord, help us to change our motivations. Help us as we gaze at Jesus to want to serve you more. Lord, but ultimately we thank you that even though we're never gonna get this right, there's always gonna be some wrong motive in us. Lord, we thank you that your forgiveness and your patience with us is endless. That as our heavenly Father, you love us, you care for us so deeply, and you'll never turn us away if we come back to you. Lord, we thank you. Continue to help us think on these things as we leave here. Lord, help us not to feel guilty about where we've fallen short, but to come to you to receive grace afresh. And Lord, as we leave, help us to continue to want to love you more. Lord, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.